This is Radio Luxalusa, episode 34. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me this evening. The title of this evening's episode is Rum, Romanism, and Rebellion. And I'm going to explain that title a little bit more here in a few minutes. But uh, first of all, just thanks for everybody for joining in. Thanks to everybody who's uh, dropped, uh, dropped by on the uh, on the uh, uh, live video on Twitter. I appreciate that, uh, the live feed. And I'm trying to do that uh, with Twitter, just kind of getting used to going live. I really haven't done a whole lot of that. In fact, this is only the second time I've done it, so I'm kind of a kind of a newbie on this whole thing. Trying a little different camera angle tonight. Hopefully that'll that'll work. So I titled to tonight's episode "Rum Romanism and Rebellion." And 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 why did I do that? Well, that's a saying you, that you may have heard of. You may you may have heard you know, somebody somewhere, someplace, maybe in an article you've you've read. Use the phrase "rum Romanism and rebellion," and you know you, a lot of people have heard that, and and it, it, it's kind of a it's kind of one of those uh, sayings that sticks with you, right? It's it's uh, wonderfully alliterative. It starts with uh, there are three words beginning with R, and uh, I, I like alliteration too. Um, but a lot of people, you know, they've heard that, but but what does that actually mean? When you know what what does it refer to? Well, it actually is something that goes back to 1884, and it goes back to the presidential election of, of 1884. And that was the president, uh, the election, there was a, a, uh, a, uh, the Republican candidate was James G. Blaine, and he was running against a Democrat, uh, by the name of, uh, of Grover Cleveland. Well, Grover Cleveland actually went on to, to win that, uh, win that election. But shortly before the actual election took place, there was a speech that was given, by a, a gentleman named Samuel D. Burchard. It was actually Dr. Samuel D. Burchard. He was a Presbyterian minister, and he was also a, a Civil War vet. He had served in the Union Army. And during his his speech, he, he used that term, rum, Romanism, and rebellion. But what does it refer to? Well, a lot of people don't know this, but rum, Romanism, rebellion, he was referring to by those terms, he was referring to the Democrats. Uh, Samuel D. Burchard was a Republican, and he was referring to the Democrats. And let me read the the quote for you, the kind of give you a little sense of context here. This is Burchard, quote, We are Republicans and don't propose to leave our party and identify ourselves with a party whose antecedents have been rum, Romanism, and rebellion. We are loyal to our flag. End quote. Well, that was actually even a fairly controversial statement to make back in 1884, and uh, James Blaine went on to lose the election, and he partially blamed uh, Blaine Burchard for for what he said. But yeah, what I can say is is Burchard's comment. I actually that's he was spot on in in 1884, and if anything, what he said is even more true of the Democrats today. You know, they're the party of rum, Romanism, and rebellion. And you can really see that uh, this past week. You know, last week I talked about the Catholicism of Joe Biden. And then this this last week, you really see the rebellion portion of it in uh, in the attempt by the Democrats to steal the election. And, and make no mistake, that's, that's exactly what's going on. I, I think that the evidence is overwhelming that this election is being being stolen or at least attempt the, the, there's a, a an ongoing concerted and uh, very well planned attempt to steal the election now just tonight uh, there was at uh, what uh, 
Fox News was reporting that uh, that Joe Biden is is president. I mean, that, that's what they were reporting here, you know, that, that he's, he's uh, the 46th president of the United States, according to Fox News. Um, and it, it's interesting because there was something I saw on Twitter uh, earlier this week uh, by uh, an individual, and he said that the uh, that everybody was waiting around for the quote conservative Fox News to announce that Joe Biden was president. Well, I, I I don't even know all of the the ins and outs of of how this is all operating, but I do know that there was a push alert that came through on my phone tonight that said you know it was from Fox News and oh you know Joe Biden is the forty sixth president of the United States. Well, uh, you know not so fast. You know this. You know, right now, things don't look, you know, as I'm recording this, and this is November 7th, 2020, as I'm recording this, things don't look all that great for Donald Trump. Um, certainly, the media is all against him, The uh, and even the, so- the so-called conservative media, and by that I'm talking about, you know, Fox. Fox is supposed to putatively be, anyway, the uh, the, the station that supports Donald Trump, but I, I don't think that they really do outside of the exception of a, of a few individuals. But I, I titled to tonight's episode, Rum, Romanism, and Rebellion, because this th- that whole saying – that that saying that that Bertrand used, I mean, he was referring, as I said, referring to the Democrats, and we really see that being laid out here this past week. Yeah, you know, I, I had it, it was kind of funny. You know, I and I, I say this, I, I'm a Republican, so someone might watch this and say, "Well, Steve, you know what? You're just being, you're just being a partisan hack." You know, you know the the Democrats. I mean, they're they're not all that bad. And, and and you know, for a long time, you know, I would see the Democrats do things that looked um pretty uh pretty evil, and I'd say, well, you know, they are my fellow Americans. Though. They can't really be that corrupt, can they? Can't can't really be that bad, can they? Oh yeah, they can be. <laughs> um, you know, th- this is one of the things historically the you know Democrat politics have been tied very closely to the Roman Catholic Church, and the Roman Catholic Church itself is very corrupt. I mean, think about all of the corruption that you've seen in Rome. I mean, it's it, the, the Roman Catholic Church may well be the most corrupt institute in, in the entire world, and and there are, are is story after story after story about the corruption of Rome, you know, the kind of scandals that they have. I mean, they can be sex scandals, they can be money scandals, they can be political scandals. Sometimes all three are involved. Um, yeah, I mean, here's a story. And just to give you a sense of the, the kind of just outrageous evil that comes out of, of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, this is a headline from July 2017. It's actually July 5th, 2017. And, excuse me, the, the headline, it, it reads this, Vatican cops bust drug-fueled gay orgy at home of Cardinal's aid. Yeah, you, you heard that right. I'll read that again. Vatican cops bust drug-fueled gay orgy at home of Cardinal's aid. And you go on and you read this story here, and, and I'll, I'll just I'll read a few sentences. Quote, Vatican police raided a drug-fueled gay sex party in an apartment belonging to an aide of one of Pope Francis' key advisors, according to a new report. The Holy Father... Seek is enraged since the home inhabited by Francesco Cardinal Coco, Coco, Coco uh, Palmerio's secretary belongs to the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. The arm charged with tackling clerical sex abuse, the Italian paper Il Fatto Quotidiano reported. 
Cops raided the apartment in late June after neighbors voiced concern about multiple people acting strangely while streaming in and out of the residence, the newspaper uh, the newspaper reported Wednesday. Once police were inside the apartment, they said they found multiple men engaged in rampant drug use and homosexual activity. They then arrested the priest and aide to one of Pope Francis' key advisors after t- uh, taking him to a clinic to detox from the drugs he'd ingested. Uh, and, and the article goes on. Now, I couldn't even make something like this up. You know, I, you know, I'm a Protestant and you know, I, I have, have stated many, many times, I've written many, many times that, you know, that, that the Roman Catholic Church is, is the Babylonian harlot of the Bible, you know, and that the office of the papacy is the Antichrist. But even I, you know, it, it's funny, you know, as, as bad as I think Rome is, even I would not dream of accusing him of doing something like this. I mean, I read this and my jaw just drops. Uh, it, it's absolutely just stunning. You know, it's it's however evil I think the Roman Catholic Church is, they somehow manage to even be worse than what I think. <laughs> and there's been many, many, many times when I've come across that sort of thing. And you know, I mention that because uh, the Democrats are kind of the same way. And I've noticed this over the years. However bad I think the Democrats are, they manage to actually be worse than what I thought. Yeah, and there have been a lot of times, you know, I've seen, you know, Democrats, you know, uh, that, that seem pretty sleazy and they've had terrible policies and, and they've, they've been engaged in apparently all kinds of eh, very questionable sorts of activity. And I think, you know, man, these guys are really evil. And, and then I catch myself, I'd say, Oh, come on, Steve. You know, you're just being a partisan hack. You know, you're a Republican and, and, you know, you're just, you're, you're just, uh, you're not being fair to these people. And then things would come out. That, that would prove some of this wrongdoing. I think, you know, not only were they as bad as what I thought they were, they were worse than what I thought they were. And it was kind of like that in, in 2016, you know, during the last election, you know, all those WikiLeaks things came out. And it was very obvious that the Democrats were rigging the primary for, uh, for Hillary Clinton. And then it came out, you know, all these, uh, these WikiLeaks documents came out that proved that they were rigging the primary for Hillary Clinton. And, and you, you, you see these things come out and you just go, you know, you guys are even just worse than what I thought you were. Um, you know, not only is you, you're as bad as what I thought you were, you're worse than what I, what I thought you were. You know, and then it came out, you know, during the, I think it was during, uh, the, the presidential debates, it came out that, that, uh, the acting uh, Democratic National Committee uh, chairman, uh, I guess it was Donna Brazil, she was feeding qu- uh, debate questions to Hillary Clinton in advance, and not only once but twice, and she lost her job at CNN. I mean, it, it's just just the most ridiculous garbage that there is. And, of course, you know, with, with the presidential election this last week, you're seeing exactly that same kind of thing. You know, just just the Romanism, the rebellion, um, the lawlessness that is just typical both of the Roman Catholic Church as well as uh, the political wing in the United States, which is the Democratic Party. And, you know, right now you, you have Joe Biden out there. He's holding himself out as though he is is the president-elect, uh, which he is not. Um. You know, I, I think this this thing is far from over. It's far from settled. As far as I'm concerned, the 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 fraud that you you see coming in uh, the election is just uh, about the the presidential election is just overwhelming. I mean, look at at the run up to the election. Joe Biden couldn't draw a crowd to save his life. 
I mean, he spent most of the uh, most of the campaign hiding in his basement, so to speak. And then when he did come out, he'd have these ridiculous rallies. I mean, that where where hardly anybody was there. Donald Trump shows up, and and there's thousands and tens of thousands of people who are coming out to see him. Yet we're we're supposed to believe that Joe Biden was dominating in the polls. You know, he was up by ten percent, and you know, and he was going to sweep the sweep to victory, and there's going to be a blue wave, and and all of this other stuff. And I looked at it, and it's like, no, I I don't think that that's going to happen. And then election night comes, and I think pretty clearly Donald Trump won that election. But True to form, all kinds of weird irregularities started happening. Um, and, and I could go on and on about it, and it's not my intention to do so here. But just a couple of very obvious ones where Donald Trump was leading very nicely in both Michigan and Wisconsin, two key battleground states. And then in, in the wee hours of of uh, Wednesday morning, I think it was around four or five o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden, all these votes came in. I think in Michigan, it was like 138,000 votes just appeared out of nowhere. And it amazing thing, there were just enough votes to give Donald uh, to give uh, Joe Biden the lead. And the same thing happened in Wisconsin right about the same time. And I'm not even getting into all the stuff that was going on in Pennsylvania. And there's a lot of uh, problems going on in Georgia right now as well. Uh, and these are all key battleground states. And it, the, the whole thing is, is very obviously corrupt. And I think it's, it's very obviously an attempt by Joe Biden and by the, by the Democrats to steal the election. And this isn't the first time they've done that. I mean, you know, you, like I say, you, they were very clearly, they were rigging the, the, uh, the Democratic primary in 2016. They were trying their best to cheat as well as they could in the presidential debates. And, and there's every reason to think that, um, you know, th- that they're attempting to rig this election. I, I have no doubt about that. And, you know, that's an opinion. Now, there's some people that may differ from that, and you know that's okay. But I, I think that there's, there's substantial evidence to suggest that there's, uh, there's serious foul play afoot. And, you know, that, that's actually fairly typical of, of democratic politics. I want to read something to, to you here. This is actually from, uh, Dr. John Robbins' book. It's called Ecclesiastical Megalomania. It is, uh, it's chapter three. Yeah, chapter three out of the book on page uh, 47. And here he's talking about uh, about Roman Catholic political corruption in the United States. He writes this, he says, Much of the interference by federal, state, and local governments in the affairs of citizens, both Joe Klein and the papacy have told us, is due to Roman Catholic influence in American politics. Corrupt municipal political machines were constructed and operated by Roman Catholics following the church-state support for a policy of effective interference. Tammany Hall, the Daly Machine, the Curly Machine, and so on. Klein could have mentioned many more. Following Vatican directives, Roman Catholic politicians, legislatures, and intellectuals brought us the progressive movement, the labor union movement, the graduated income tax, the New Deal, and the growth of government in the United States. The growth of government was not only in the United States, of course. Perhaps the United States, because it is the nation in which biblical Christianity had the most impact, is also the country where the least growth of government has occurred. In other nations in which Roman Catholic influence was greater, governments became even more socialist than they did in the United States. In Italy, for example, an overwhelmingly Roman Catholic country, the Communist Party was once the largest Communist Party in the world outside the Soviet Union and China. So, 
you know, there, there, you know, he talks a little bit. Uh, John Robbins does about about corrupt Roman Catholic politics, and you know, he was talking about the the Curly Machine that was in Boston, or Tammany Hall, which was New York, or or the Daily Machine in Chicago. Yeah, you know, I, I was reading something earlier this week about the 1960 election. Of course, that's when uh, John John F. Kennedy uh, was elected, and there have long been rumors about. Uh, massive f- election fraud in in Chicago, and of course that's where the Daily Machine uh, was uh, was from. The Daily, you know, the uh, the Roman Catholic political machine uh, in was in Chicago, and it was interesting to read through some of these reports. I had never seen this before, but apparently there was a I believe he was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and he was investigating the <laughs> the voting irregularities and. He found, for example, there was one abandoned house where I believe there was 59 votes uh, were uh, were cast for for John F. Kennedy. Uh, there were dead people voting, etc. And his editors pulled him off the report. Interestingly enough, he he didn't want to. He wanted to continue doing this, uh, but his editors pulled him off. And there were actually a. I want to say about half a dozen or people that that went to jail over uh, election fraud. Uh, in the 1960 election, apparently there were several hundred people that were indicted until a judge threw this out, or or there are at least several several hundred people who are under investigation. I don't remember all the details, but this was a big operation, and, and this was a a, uh, a you know it, it was a democratic operation in Chicago that was was all part probably of of the uh, the corrupt Roman Catholic Daily Machine. I mean that's just Roman Catholic democratic politics. You know, the Democrats are the party of rum, Romanism, and rebellion. And they have been for a very, very long time. And you really are seeing that come out right now in, in the current election cycle. As I said, the, the, even just the results in Michigan and, and in Wisconsin are enough to tell you right there, uh, that the rig is in. I have no doubt about that. Now, I don't know what's going to happen here at this point. You know, I don't know, is, uh, is, is the uh, rig going to be big enough this time? You know, I, I talked to a friend of mine and it was, we actually, I had a friend invite me over to his house, uh, for the last presidential debate. And he wanted to, to kind of pick my, pick my brain and, and get what, what, what I thought, you know, who did I think was going to win the election? And I told him at the time, I told him, I think that Donald Trump was going to win unless the Democrats steal it. Because it's very obvious that the Democrats have been working on a steal for a long time. And there's, there's a lot of, uh, of information that's been published out over the past few months on this. And it's, it's, uh, it's quite convincing. And, you know, I think in 2016, I don't think there's any question about it, but they tried to rig that election too. But I think Donald Trump took them by surprise. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. There are some people, there's a certain strain of thought that says, well, Donald Trump, he's just nothing but a deep state globalist. You know, he's just like everybody else. I don't think that that's true. You know, I, I don't think that Donald Trump is 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 a deep state globalist. You know, he doesn't run with the same crowd that the presidential, that the, you know, that the men who, who've been elected president up until now, Democrat and Republican alike, are, are part of. I mean, if, if Donald Trump were, say, a, uh, a deep state globalist at heart, then why do they hate him so much? You know, why does, why does the press hate him so much? Why does the entire political establishment hate him so much? Why does the academic establishment hate him so much? Why do so many of these, uh, 
even top people in the military who are committed to all these foreign wars hate Donald Trump so much if he's just another deep state globalist. I don't think that he is. I, I, I think he is, he's a bit of an outsider. Just to give you an idea about what I mean, there's this really creepy, weird secret society out in, in California. It's actually based near San Francisco. It's called Bohemian Grove. And about 20 years back or so, Alex Jones did some, he sneaked in there and, and he did some, some, uh, some video footage of some of the stuff that they do. And it's, it's really occult and, and very, very weird. And what I found out in this one article that I read is, is that Donald Trump, or I should say this, there's only been one president, one Republican president since 1924 who did not attend or did not attend Bohemian Grove. And that one guy is Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump is not part of Skull and Bones at Yale, you know, like the Bushes were, for example. So he's not part of that that in crowd, and of course he's not a Roman Catholic either. He's a he's a Republican, and uh, he's at least nominally a Protestant. He he grew up, I guess he's he's nominally a Presbyterian. Now I don't think that Donald Trump's a Christian, but I, I think that he's he's at least culturally. Protestant in many ways. He's not a Roman Catholic. He's not a globalist. And I think one of the reasons that he's not a globalist is because of his at least political Protestantism, if, if not his, his actual uh, faith in Jesus Christ. So anyway, you've got this, this very corrupt Roman Catholic uh, democratic establishment that's at this point trying to very hard to push this Roman Catholic Joe Biden into the White House. Will they succeed? I honestly don't know at this point. It appears right now that, that Joe Biden has the upper hand, and, and things, quite frankly, don't look all that great for Donald Trump. Now, that said, uh, what I would tell you is that I think that if anybody can overcome the rig, you know, if anybody can defeat the rig, it would be Donald Trump. You know, there's a, a guy that I've uh, followed for a number of years, uh, whose work I've followed. His name's Gerald Salente. He, he calls himself a trends forecaster. And I've seen him, I saw him in an interview fairly recently. One of the things he said about Donald Trump is he said, you know, he says, you got to understand, he's from New York. He says, you know, the New York New Yorkers are kind of different. He says, you know, these other guys, you know, you hit them once and they go down. And, you know, Donald Trump, he's a fighter. You know, that's that's how, how Gerald Salente put it. And I... I can see in, in my own experience and just watching Donald Trump that uh, that I think there's there's a lot of truth in that. I, I'll go back to the, the 2016 presidential election, for example. And if, if you follow the, if you remember back, I think back four years, you might remember kind of late in the game. It was, I don't know, late September, early October, the, the infamous Billy Bush tapes were released. Now, I'm not going to uh, – th this is a Christian podcast, and I'm not going to go in and discuss some of the things that were on the Billy Bush tape. But let's just say the, the Billy Bush tape, it showed Donald Trump saying some things that, that really weren't the things that, that you would want to hear somebody say. Just leave it at that. If you want to go find out for yourself, you can probably just go look it up on the internet. But I'm, I'm not going to give what he said. But but they were some some fairly crude things. When these were released, everybody thought that that Trump was done. 
it was very interesting. You know, the mainstream media, they, it, it was, it almost became like the buzzards were circling, you know, and they, they'd come out and reporters would speak in hushed tones, you know, and it was almost like they were at a funeral, sort of like a political funeral almost. And, and they were trying to sell this idea that, well, Donald Trump's just finished. It's done. It's all over. He's going to resign any moment now and somebody else will take over for him and Hillary Clinton's going to win and it'll be great and wonderful, you know, uh, praise to the Lord, you know, world without end. Amen. <laughs> that was that was sort of the conventional wisdom there. And you know, this went on for several days. And I remember that Donald Trump put out a quote. That was put out a tweet, I should say. And in the tweet he wrote, he said, Republicans don't know how to fight. Or no, he said Republicans don't know how to win. I will teach them. Or something pretty close to that. It was it was a very brief tweet, very to the point. And you know, the funny thing is, is the days is the, the days went on and it got into the weekend. Um, all of a sudden, there was no resignation. And I think people were amazed by that. And, and, and Trump kept right on going. And I actually went to a, a Trump rally. He was here in Cincinnati in the second week of October. So it was about maybe a week or two after this. And I went down there and there were all kinds of people down there with just tons of enthusiasm for Donald Trump. And. I mean, I remember going down to that rally, and I, I thought to myself, "Well, it looks like he's going to survive," and 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 he did. Obviously, he went on uh, went on to win the twenty sixteen election, but everybody had given him up for dead. And right now, when you look at the news media, they all pretty much seem to be writing Donald Trump's political obituary. Yeah, that he's done. That that Joe Biden's going to be president, and and that's pretty much it. Well, you know, not so fast. You know, this thing is not over. And I think one of the things that you know, if if uh, if you are a Republican or if you're somebody who's who say voted for Donald Trump, don't let the the mainstream lying press demoralize you, intimidate you, or make you think that this thing is over. It's not over, and I think that you're going to see some things come out on this uh, this election where the fraud I think is going to be very obvious. I think it already is obvious, but I think that it's going to, I think they're going to uh to make the case uh that there was massive fraud in key battleground states and I wouldn't be surprised if they can't prove that. Uh where I I would I I think that they will be able to prove it. Let's let, let's put it that way now. You know, ultimately who carries the day? I I really don't know. Um I want to see Donald Trump win, not because I think Donald Trump's perfect, not because I think that Donald Trump uh, being elected is is going to solve our pro- uh, all of our problems, but because I think as a nation, I think the United States is headed for some very difficult times, and that's regardless of who happens to sit in the White House. But I would rather have someone in the White House who at least has some appreciation for the Constitution, has uh, appreciation, some appreciation for uh, basic liberty. Uh, for capitalism, uh, economic freedom, for these sorts of things, rather than a deep state Roman Catholic globalist uh, such as uh, such as Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden really is is the Pope's uh, the Pope's candidate. Now, the Pope hasn't come out and said that. I mean, they can't quite come out and say that. But of course, you know, he you know to begin with. I mean, of course, Biden is Roman Catholic, and then beyond that, I mean, if you look at Joe Biden's policies. Uh, whether it's policies on the economy, whether it's uh, policies on, uh, say, environmentalism, whether it's uh, uh, 
socialized medicine, what have you, they all line up very closely with, with what the Vatican has taught. And of course, we go back to 2016, we know that Donald Trump and Pope Francis are, uh, uh, are enemies. You know, you could think back to 2016 and, and Pope Francis came over and I think he did some tour in Mexico and I, I believe he actually went to Juarez, if I recall correctly. And gave some big mass there, and then on the flight from uh, back to uh, back to the Vatican, he made his his well known comments about you know that that uh, Christians don't build walls, you know, and someone who builds a wall, you know, that that man isn't a Christian. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that was was in effect what what Pope Francis said. And then I remember that Donald Trump shot back at him, and. I was just amazed when Donald Trump actually shot back at the Pope. I mean, it's like, you don't do that. I mean, I've never in my, my life ever seen an American politician take on the Pope before. I mean, that's like tugging on Superman's cape. But Donald Trump did. Uh, I thought it was great. I loved it. Um, and, and that's actually when I started to get a little bit interested in, in Donald Trump. Now, is it, again, I'm not here to defend everything Donald Trump's ever said, everything Donald Trump's ever done. Uh, all of Donald Trump's policies. There's many things he said and done. There are many of his policies that I disagree with. Um, but I think that he's certainly someone who is is closer to what I believe as a Christian. Uh, what I believe the uh, as someone who who loves the Constitution, who loves personal liberty, who loves economic freedom. He's certainly a lot closer to those things than what Joe Biden is, who is maybe himself not a complete radical, but he's backed by some very radical people. And if if he does become president, I think we're going to see um, some very very serious uh, probably economic. Uh, problems, and I think we're going to see some real challenges to not just political liberty, but to religious liberty as well. And this is one of the big concerns I have as a Christian: is is what may be coming if Joe Biden becomes president, because of course he's uh, a big backer of of critical race theory. He's a big backer of the uh, the homosexual lobby, and I think you're going to see those people become very very aggressive uh, here in the next few years if uh, if Joe Biden is elected. So, you know, I, I guess one of the things that, that, that I wanted to, to talk a little bit about tonight is, you know, how do we, as Christians, how do we respond to the difficult uh, situation that our nation is in right now? Well, you know, one thing we don't do is we don't throw violent temper tantrums. You know, one of the things that, <laughs> you know, it, it's been amazing. You can see just how evil the, uh, uh, the left really is uh, by the riots that have taken place over the last six months, whether it's, you know, Black Lives Matter or whether it's uh, Antifa. Uh, these have been incredibly destructive. And you know, basically their, their approach is you either agree with us uh, or we're going to beat you up and, and burn down your city. Either you give us free stuff or we're going to beat you up and burn down your city. And we're going to crack you on the head with a, uh, with a skateboard or, or we're going to, we're going to knock you out or, you know, we're going to throw a Molotov cocktail in your store and break out your windows. Uh, I mean, the, you know, I've watched, um, a lot of the, uh, the riot coverage from Portland and from some other cities on Twitter. I mean, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, Twitter's actually been a great place. To, to follow some of this stuff. And some of the video is pretty raw. Some of the video, it, it, it's raw stuff, it's violent, and you can really see how satanic and, and how evil 
these uh, these Antifa, these these Black Lives Matter rioters really are. I mean, this this is dark stuff, and you know, this is the these are the kinds of people who who really support the particularly the the radical progressive wing of of the Democratic Party. Uh, some people call the uh, call Antifa the shock troops of the establishment, and uh, they're in particular the the shock troops of the left. I mean, they are are really uh, really violent and, and evil people. Well, you know, as Christians, we don't do that. You know that that's not how we behave. That's not how we do things. We don't say, you know, if 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 you don't agree with us, we're going to beat you up or we're going to threaten to kill you. I mean, one of the things that you see right now is you see some of these these leftists are talking about making lists. Uh, for reprisals, you know, there was a a thing where, um, oh, who was it? Uh, Robert Reich, yeah, Robert Reich. I think it was just last week. He was proposing what would what did he call them? Uh, uh, like a reconciliation commission, uh, something along these lines. And <laughs> you know, of course, what that means is uh, reeducating all the. Uh, uh, all the Christians or all the conservatives out there who who don't like uh, radical progressive politics, you need to be reeducated, uh, comrade. And this was the kind of thing that they did in in South Africa. I think it was Truth and Reconciliation, I believe, is what it was called. They had uh, he wanted a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and he's not the only one. Uh, Robert Reich is a very prominent individual. I believe he's an economics professor. He served in the Clinton administration, uh, but there have been a number of reports of uh, fairly high-profile people um, talking about making lists out, essentially for revenge and reprisals. And this is really dangerous stuff. Um, I mean, these people are evil. Uh, and they're all Democrats. I mean, this is one of the things that's interesting. You don't see Republicans saying this type of thing. You just don't see it. I'm not trying to say that every Republican is a great person, uh, but you don't see the kinds of threats and violence from Republicans that you do from Democrats. You know, the Democrats are the party of rum, Romanism, and rebellion. That is how they roll. And I know that's maybe a terrible sounding thing to say, but that is how they roll. It's what they are. It's in their DNA. You know, and and I'm not even saying that every person who's ever voted for a Democrat or everybody who's registered as a Democrat is like that, but the leadership very much is like that. Uh, there's there's no question about that. So we're in for some very difficult times here, I, I think, as a nation, as I said, and that's regardless of whether Donald Trump or Joe Biden is president. We have major economic problems. Our our financial system is collapsing. It's going to collapse whether it's Donald Trump as a president or whether it's Joe Biden as a president. It's probably going to collapse sometime here in the next few years. You know, probably during the next president's administration. I think there's a, you know, I, I don't want to be, try to, to predict too, too much in terms of timing, but I think there's a very good chance that it could happen. And if it doesn't, it's, it's going to happen sometime, uh, I think in the not terribly distant future. And I think the people that run the, uh, the financial system know that as well. I think they know they're living on borrowed time. But I would much rather have somebody uh, like Donald Trump who at least has some respect for the Constitution running things rather than uh, a deep state globalist like Joe Biden who does not. Um, one of the big differences between Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump is, is on their view of uh, nationalism versus globalism. 
you know, you probably heard of the term New World Order. You know, I remember the first time that I heard that, I think was back uh, about 30 years ago. It was maybe back in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and there's a speech that George H.W. Bush gave. This was uh, the, the elder Bush, Bush the elder. And he gave this speech and he talked about the New World Order. And everybody was like, what is he talking about? You know, the, what, what is this weird, creepy sounding New World Order thing? Well, the New World Order is basically world government. Globalism. It's world government. I mean, when you talk about world government or globalism or the New World Order, you're really talking about the same thing. And the New World Order is a Roman Catholic thing. The Roman Catholics are globalists. Joe Biden is a globalist. You know, the Democrats are globalists. I mean, these, you know, the, the, you know, the Democratic Party is the party of rum, Romanism, and rebellion. And the parties, the, the platform of the Democratic Party ties very closely in to, to all of the stuff that the Vatican wants. The Vatican wants world government. And, uh, so do, uh, you know, <laughs> so do the Democrats. And, you know, when, when you look in, uh, uh, here's a, uh, just to give you an example of how, how much the, uh, um, how much, uh, Rome wants world government. I'm going to give you a quote here. This is actually from an encyclical, uh, the 2015 encyclical called Laudato Si, and it's by the current Pope, Pope Francis. I'm just going to read you a brief uh, few sentences here. Quote, as Benedict XVI has affirmed in continuity with the social teaching of the church, to manage the global economy, to revive economies hit by the crisis, to avoid any deterioration of the present crisis and the greater imbalances that would result, to bring about integral and timely disarmament, food security and peace, to guarantee the protection of the environment, and to regulate migration. For all this, there is an urgent need, where there is urgent need, of a true world political authority. As my predecessor, Blessed John the Twenty-Third, indicated some years ago. So to do all of this stuff, he says, again, I'll just read that again, there is urgent need of a true world political authority. So that's... Uh, Pope Francis quoting Pope Benedict XVI, who himself was quoting uh, John the Twenty-Third. The Roman Catholic Church has always been about world government, and they want to do on a global scale what they did on a regional scale back during the Middle Ages. They want to run everything. That's what they want to do. Now, are they going to get there? Well, you know, I, I don't know. You know, some of that depends on how you read the Book of Revelation, but there's no question that that's what they want to do. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of interesting too, because when you, you listen to alternate media and by alternate media, I'm talking about independent journalists, you know, uh, the YouTubers, podcasters, bloggers, that kind of thing. People do the same kind of stuff that I like to do. And when you listen to these people, you know, you hear them talk about the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and the, oh, the, you know, the Council on Foreign Relations and in the UN and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and all of these are, are things that, that are true. I mean, these are all bad actors and, uh, Certainly, uh, very, uh, major problems. You know, they talk about the World Economic Forum, uh, Davos, and they talk about the Great Reset and this fellow named Klaus Schwab. And, and again, you know, these are all people who definitely promote globalism. No question about it. Uh, and they're bad actors. But the one guy who's the biggest, most dangerous globalist of them all, they hardly ever mention. And, and that's the, the Pope. 
You know, the Pope is the office of Antichrist. That's what Protestants always understood up until the past hundred years when they decided they wanted to, to drop that doctrine like a hot potato. I guess, I don't know, maybe it became socially embarrassing for them. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe they just didn't uh, you know, stop believing in the doctrines of the Reformation. I think that had a lot to do with it. But, you know, globalism is geopolitical Romanism. It's, it, they're, they're, they're tied at the hip. On the other hand, the uh, you know, nationalism, or what we would call Westphalian world, world order, the Westphalian world order, that is geopolitical Protestantism. Now, you may never have heard of the Westphalian world order. Now, the New World Order is the NWO. Well, the Westphalian World Order, we can abbreviate that as the WWO. And not the WWE, you know, that, that, that's what the, or the WWF, that's the World Wrestling, World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> now, this is the WWO, um, the, the Westphalian World Order. And the Westphalian World Order is geopolitical Protestantism. The Westphalian World Order is so named because of the Treaty of Westphalia, which settled the Thirty Years' War. The Thirty Years' War ended in 1648. Incidentally, it did begin in 1618 and <laughs> it went to 1648. Hey, that's why they call it the Thirty Years' War. Amazing, isn't it? Funny how that works out. But the Thirty Years' War was settled by the Treaty of Westphalia. And the Treaty of West, the, the, the Thirty Years' War was fought between, on the one hand, the, uh, the Roman Catholics, and on the other hand, the uh, the Protestants. Um, it was the the first pan European war. You know, we think of World War One and World War Two as pan European wars because they involved most of, uh, not necessarily all, but certainly a, a great portion of the the nations of Europe. But those weren't the first pan European wars. You have to actually go back to the the Thirty Years' War for that. And it was the the Protestants. Um, you know, and the Protestant Reformation was only about a hundred years old at that time. And the nations to which the, the Reformation had come, which had enjoyed the blessings of the Reformation, they said, we don't want to be ruled by Rome anymore, because, of course, Rome during the Middle Ages did pretty much rule all of Europe. They ran the show. And there was this fight, there was this 30 years war, and the good guys, the Protestants, won that fight. They defeated the Roman Catholic uh, forces, and they were no longer ruled by Rome, these nations were. Uh, they were independent nations. Sometimes when we talk about um, the the current Westphalian world order, sometimes it's called Westphalian sovereignty. I don't know if I necessarily like the term sovereignty so much because, of course, you know, God alone is sovereign, but that's, that's at least the, the term that's, that's most commonly used. Sometimes they call it Westphalian sovereignty. And Westphalian sovereignty, I'm going to tell you about what that is in just a moment here. And you're just going to probably say to me, well, see, that's just common sense. Everybody knows that, right? Well, no, actually, everybody doesn't know that. It, it seems like common sense to you and me because you and I have lived our entire lives in a a uh, geopolitical arrangement that that's Protestant, that's Christian. And what is the Westphalian world order? Well, it's basically this, that the highest level of government is national government. So, you know, there's no world government, there's no uh, big empires. You know, we think of like the big empires of, uh, you know, like the Roman Empire, or the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire. Well, no, I mean, you know, there's, you, you know, the, the the Romans ruled over many, many nations. They conquered many nations and they subjugated them to uh, to Roman rule. Of course, you know, we know in the New Testament, for example, you know, uh, Judea, you know, went from being an independent nation to being a province of the Roman Empire. And there are many other nations that were subjugated in the same way. 
but that's not Westphalian sovereignty. Westphalian sovereignty is that that um, that uh, nations that that national governments are uh, are the highest level of government, and and one nation isn't supposed to rule over other nations. So not only is national government the the highest level of government, but also you know one country doesn't have any business interfering in the internal affairs of another nation. You know it's it's sort of mind your own business, M Y O B. Uh, in the New Testament, I think it's—I can't remember—it's First or Second Thessalonians, but you know, the Apostle Paul tells people to mind their own business. You know, take care of yourself and don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, mind your own business. M Y O B—that's actually a Christian principle on an individual level, and it's also a Christian principle on a geopolitical level as well. And and Donald Trump—I mean, Donald Trump is not a Christian. I mean, back in 2016, I think it was, or 2015, you know, there was that interview he had, and he was asked if he'd ever asked God for forgiveness. And he point blank said, no, I've never asked God for forgiveness. Well, if he's never asked God for forgiveness, then he can't be a Christian. Because, of course, being a Christian is all about repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we have to ask God for forgiveness because all of us are sinners. And if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. So, so Donald Trump, at least back in 2015, you know, he was not a Christian. Now, I don't know. Maybe he's become a Christian. I haven't, haven't heard that he's changed his stance on that. Uh, maybe he has. I, I don't know. Perhaps, Lord willing, he, if, if not, maybe he will at some point. Um, but I, I don't believe that he has. And, and certainly, you know, as, as recently as four years ago or so, he was not a Christian. But even though he's not, not a Christian in the believing sense, um, that we would use that term, I think a lot of his political ideas are shaped by Scripture. And one of the things that he's repeatedly talked about is the importance of maintaining, of maintaining, uh, maintaining national independence, the independence of the United States. And of course, this is something that very much flies in the face of, of, uh, of what Rome uh, wants and teaches. So there's a big difference between what Donald Trump wants and, and the, the politics and the economics of the Roman church state. And there are a lot of people, and this is one of the great frustrations that I have is, is to hear people say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter whether Joe Biden or, or Donald Trump is president. It's all the same thing. No, it's not. It's not the same thing. As I said, regardless of who's president, there are going to be trouble. There's going to be problems, but they are not the same thing. And I've heard far too many people make this comment. And I think they're making a serious mistake when they say that. I would much rather have Donald Trump, who at least has some appreciation of biblical constitutional principles of government, compared to Joe Biden, who's just an out-and-out globalist, who has no uh, respect for free speech, has no respect for the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, and, and, and many other things. I mean, the, the man is a tyrant. And, and as I said, Donald Trump has his problems, but his problems are much, much less than that of, of Joe Biden. And, uh, I know for myself, I, I intend to pray for the president. Um, I pray that, uh, that justice be done in the case of this election. And as Christians, I think we need to be doing that. Uh, I think Donald Trump has been something of a shield to Christians over the last few years. You know, I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to Chris Pinto. Uh, if you've never listened to Chris Pinto, by the way, uh, he's got a, a podcast. It's called Noise of Thunder Radio. I get it on, I know he's on, uh, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and uh, I, th- I think you can probably find find it probably on his website as well. His website, I think it's Adullam Films. 
And it, I think you would enjoy that. I and mean, if you like some of the, the work that I do, I, he, his view and my view on, on the Bible and politics are very similar. And, and I think he's a, uh, he's a good commentator, but, you know, he was, was talking today about, about Donald Trump as a shield to Christians. And he really has been. And one of the points that he brought up was how the lawsuits against Christians by uh, members of the uh, the homosexual community have have dropped off quite a bit. You might remember back during um, the Barack Obama uh, Obama administration, there were a lot of Christians who were getting sued, and these are Christian uh, service providers, you know, Christian bakers, Christian uh, wedding photographers, Christian florists, um, Christians who owned uh, reception halls and things like this, because you know these gay couples would come, same sex couples would come and they'd say, "Well, bake me a cake or make a floral arrangement or or something like this," and the Christians would refuse to do so because they'd say, "Well, you know, we don't we don't believe in in same sex marriage," and then they'd bring some civil rights lawsuit against them. And there were many such lawsuits. I think the most famous one was this fellow. Um, I believe his last name is Phillips from out in uh, in Denver. He was a, a baker, and he he was was actually raked over the coals um, by the uh, Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and he had all kinds of legal troubles. and And he actually won in court, but some of the homosexuals have still tried to go after him, even subsequent to that. But I there have been a lot fewer stories of of that nature in the last few years, and I hadn't really thought about that until Chris Pinto men- mentioned on his podcast today. And I really do think a lot of that has to do with the presidency of Donald Trump. I think he really has been a shield to Christians over the uh, over the past several years, and that's something I've I very much appreciated about him. Uh, as I said, I, I think that you know, I'm not saying Donald Trump's perfect, but I think he is is much better. For the freedom of, uh, for Christians, for the freedom of religion, for the freedom of Christians to be able to speak, uh, and to live their lives peace, peaceably. And, I mean, I think if, if Joe Biden, uh, does somehow become president, I think we're going to be in for some, some difficult times. I think there could really be some, uh, some persecution begin, uh, under his administration. I don't want to go too far into that, but I, I do think that that's something to keep in mind. So I would encourage everyone, you know, to, uh, to pray for the nation. To pray for the peace of the city, so to speak, uh, to to borrow uh, Jeremiah's uh, turn of phrase, and and to pray uh, that the the evil of this uh, this election theft be exposed, and and the people that have done this to be punished. That's about all that I have for today, and I just wanted to say thanks very much for listening. I do appreciate that. Uh, appreciate the uh, folks who've uh, tuned in on uh, Twitter for the live for the live stream. I'm still trying to get used to doing that, but uh, I hope that uh, that you enjoy that. Uh, I'm going to be posting this podcast soon, both on my blog, it Looks Lucid. Uh, I'll also get it posted over at uh, Thorn Crown Ministries, uh, where I've also uh, uh, post my podcasts. If you do like this podcast and you like to support uh, the work that I do on my blog I, I have a place where you can donate so if, uh, if you do feel uh, you'd like to support my work I'd always appreciate that it's, it's uh, always great to to have uh, uh, to have some financial support for the work that I do and I hope to be able to uh, join you again next week for another podcast and until that time you know, I pray that uh, the spirit of truth would guide you in all truth as you read and study God's word good night everybody
internet because the, the Democrats are kind of the same way. And I've noticed this over the years, however bad I think the Democrats are. They may in fact be 